you know, this relationship that we'll probably touch on between happiness or flourishing and achievement becomes a tricky relationship. And I think sometimes we may have it really backwards, right? We may be thinking what makes us at our best instead of thinking, how do I walk in the room and be? And I love your taking people to being because if I can simply be, but it's, it's much more likely that I'll be at my best instead of trying so hard. Hey there, friends. Welcome to Happiness Squad. This is the podcast dedicated to helping you unlock your full potential by mastering the art and science of happiness. We bring on the best leading experts on these topics to help you unlock your true potential and live with more joy, health, love, and meaning in your life. Your host is no other than the star combo of Ashish Katari and Anil Ramjiani, who are both on a mission to provide you with an unfair advantage to be the masters of your experience and leaders in your industry. Get ready to be moved, challenged, and enlightened on this podcast. It may change your life. Thanks for being here and joining the squad. Hey, Happiness Squad. It's great to have you with Ashish and I as we continue to discuss with our guests who are industry leaders and experts helping individuals and organizations to unlock their inner happiness and flourishing. What value can be unlocked by enabling flourishing within organizations? Imagine if you can deliver optimal functioning and enable your teams to feel deeply alive and fire on all cylinders. That is a powerful feeling. This is the potential we seek to understand and discuss with our next guests who unleash thriving cultures. We are joined by two luminaries of flourishing, Jane Dutton and Monica Warline, co-authors of Awakening Compassion at Work, The Quiet Power That Elevates People, and a special two-part Happiness Squad episode. Jane holds a PhD and is a distinguished and award-winning university professor of business and psychology and co-founder of the Center for Positive Organizations at the University of Michigan's Ross School of Business. She's also a founding member of Compassion Lab and a strong advocate about cultivating human flourishing at work. Monica also holds a PhD and is one of the leading voices bringing compassionate practices into organizations. She is the founder and CEO of Enliven Work, an idea incubator that partners with thought leaders in the field to help organizations tap into courageous thinking, compassionate leadership, and the curiosity to bring their best work to life. In part one of this conversation, we have a rich discussion involving the application of Jane's flourishing triangle focused on positive connections, meaning, and emotions. Monica further explores the personal development tool, Reflected Best Self Exercise. Stay tuned after for part two as we delve into a routine that works in classrooms and can benefit organizations and their teams as well. Let's rewire for happiness together. Please join Ashish and I as we welcome Jane and Monica to the Happiness Squad. Well, Jane, Monica, Ashish, good afternoon. Good morning to all of you. How are you doing? Doing fine here in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Better than fine, I would say. Doing great. Awesome. Love that. I'm amazing uh, here for Boulder, dear friends. It's such a, such a pleasure to have two of the luminaries in the field of flourishing. It's such a privilege. Thank you for taking time and joining us. Our pleasure. 
You know, one of our favorite questions that we love to start with whenever we introduce our guests is what does happiness or flourishing mean to each of you? And how has it changed from your younger years till now? Yeah, well, I'll start. You know, the academic, I can't help it. I've been an academic for 40 years, so I'm going to come at it with it. My, the first answer is flourishing is a state of optimal functioning. That's what what is normally used as a definition. Right now, I'm, I'm speaking to individual flourishing. So that's what the academics uh, might might, how they might define it. But I know personally, when I'm flourishing, I am literally, these are moments of being at my best. I feel deeply alive. Um, I'm basically firing on all cinder, cylinders when I'm flourishing. And if I think about <laughs> how this has changed, my understanding of this has changed over my life. I mean, I never thought about flourishing and literally until the last 10 or 15 years, um, partly when it came into the academic literature, you know, again, I'm an organizational researcher. So flourishing was not even on the map of organizations until maybe the last 10 or 15 years. Mm -hmm. But even thinking about it as an individual, I mean, I was all about, you know, just moving forward, progressing in my life, whether that was into my home life and, um, or that was in my work life. I was never thinking about in my journey in my life, you know, was I in a state where I was sort of maximally healthy, healthy, you know, cognitively, physiologically, um, was I being kind of the best? So I would say it's in my lifetime, the focus on flourishing is relatively new. Um, I hope we, I have more years of thinking about it. I'm 70 now, at least another decade of thinking about flourishing. And it, I hope it will progress. My understanding and appreciation of it will progress. How about Jane, you, for, Jane, for all of our listeners and for the world and for me, I hope it is not a decade, but another 50 years. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? I mean, that's scary, Ashish. <laughs> I think that my view of flourishing was born in uh, rural Western United States town that taught me as a young person a lot about the power of community uh, on the one hand and the constraints of community on the other hand. And so I felt that I learned early that being with others and living the, a communal life with others is all about flourishing. And it can also inhibit our flourishing. It can easily become a double edge in that way. And I wouldn't have had language to talk about it that way then, but I feel like much of my work and much of my understanding about flourishing as I go forward has to do with really understanding the communal collective infrastructure that shapes and constrains how much human beings can flourish. And so I have a different vocabulary for it now, but it's very, very deep in my early days experience. 
Yeah, I love that, right? And you allude also to this, you know, we've sensed and we've known, we can sense into them and then research comes and catches up and kind of gives us word, gives us language, you know, like refer to the Waldinger study, which now is talking about how important community and relationships are and a pivotal driver in, in individual flourishing. In fact, uh, Monica, Jane, Jane knows it, but for many of our listeners, you know, this is precisely the reason, the importance of community in the midst of a loneliness epidemic that we are actually experiencing around the world, especially in the U.S., is, you know, earlier this, earlier this week, we actually launched our happiness program in a community platform. And it is all about helping people together uh, go from knowing to doing to being to kind of cross that chasm. But yeah, I'm in community. And I love, Jane, how you said, you know, the technical definition about, you know, when I'm really at my best performance, when I'm doing well, you know, healthy. It's, it, is, it is beautiful, right? When you're at your best, truly, is when you know and, and being attuned to what makes you be at your best, right? Hence the whole art and science of happiness. There is all the scientific literature on what helps us be happy. But uh, that doesn't mean everything that works for Monica works for you or works for me. I think we have to find our own version and elements of that. Well, also, Jane created something some time ago with others at the Center for Positive Organizations called the Reflected Best Self Exercise. And one of the reasons I love that exercise so much is that we don't know when we're at our best most of the time. We have to be so humble about this. We have our perception of ourselves, but repeatedly when people have the chance to experience that exercise, what they see is that moments when they are at their best witnessed by others are the ones that they don't even remember in their own lives. It just, it comes so naturally. It's so effortless. It's so much the essence of who we are, that we discount it as our best. And so that's, you know, this relationship um, that, that we'll probably touch on between happiness or flourishing and achievement becomes a tricky relationship. And I think sometimes we have it you know, we may have it really backwards, right? We may be thinking what makes us at our best instead of thinking, how do I walk in the room and be? Yes. And I, and I love your taking people to being because if I can simply be, right, it's, it's much more likely that I'll be at my best instead of trying so hard. Yeah. You know, I, uh, Monica or Jane, right? Talk to our listeners a little bit about it because I love that exercise. You know, I've, I've gone into it. It's a beautiful, beautiful exercise. So talk a little bit about the notion of that exercise, where people can find it, because I would love more of us to tune into that and, and experience the power of that. Yeah, I'll let Monica has, although we... A bunch of us originated it. Monica, as she does always, has taken it to a whole new level um, so that organizations and leaders around the world are using this in both in educational institutions and also in business organizations, you know, as a way to help people, uh, again, recognize and build on their innate, their innate goodness, but also their innate excellence. So, Monica, do you want to just... Uh, yeah. How can people find this tool? How can they engage with it? And how can they use it to be more? 
Yes, the tool is available at reflectedbestselfexercise.com. And you can read a little bit more about the research. If you visit that link, you can also purchase it as an individual or you can take a team or an organization through it. Uh, and you can link to people who can tell you more about it. The, the essential premise of the exercise is that you ask people from across your social network, not just work colleagues, but friends, family members, mentors, former teachers, past supervisors, present supervisors, um, peers, um, you select who you want to ask and you ask people across your social network to tell a story or two or three, up to three, uh, stories about moments they witnessed you at your best. And then you receive a report that is simply all of those stories aggregated into one place. And you do the self-authoring of reading the stories, understanding them, looking for themes and patterns that matter to you. And um, many people report that this is a life-changing exercise because, as I said, the things that are mirrored back to them in the stories are things that they never counted as strengths. They never saw those as moments of flourishing or moments of being at their best um, because our strengths are often invisible to us. And what they also have happen is that many people will say, Monica, this was like a, attending my own funeral, but I get to be here for it. Right? It's, we don't take the time as a culture here in the United States to, um, unless it's a very big milestone, like maybe a wedding, mm -hmm. um, to gather together people from across our social network and then to have them share stories about us and the way we have impacted them. It's just an absolutely beautiful exercise for opening up this idea that um, our strengths are invisible to us, but that we're impacting the world all the time through uh, through how we are. And we can become more mindful of what we bring effortlessly with us in terms of strengths and flourishing by using an exercise like this. You know what I love about that also, Monica, is, you know, there is tons of tools out there. Like you can do the strength finder, you can do the we are character strength. You can do so many of those. But what I love about this is it, this is, you know, many of them, I experience them as cognitive, right? You kind of think about them, you kind of rate yourself, you might even ask other people. What I love about this tool and the power of stories, it actually appeals to our limbic. We can emotionally sense into that. And once we start to, you know, because cognitively, to your point, half the time we do it and we're like, oh, yeah, that was just whatever. But when we hear the stories of the impact, I think it just so deeply seeds. Something shifts in us. We can finally be tuned into our own greatness, right? I'm reminded of this poem, uh, which I'm going to completely butcher. But you know, but this notion of it's not our, it's not the darkness that we're afraid of. You know, it's it's this notion that we're afraid of our own light. We're afraid of our own greatness of what we can become, and and what becomes possible. So thank you. I mean, I will. Definitely encourage everybody who's listening to do that exercise, take that assessment. It will change your life because I think we will, you will stop beating yourself down and holding your, letting your ego hold hostage. 
Instead, you'll tune into the heart and the lives of so many that you've touched. One more thing while we're talking about business, I'll just, uh, you know, I know that some people listening are thinking about business and work. And um, something that makes this really different than organizations that say, well, we already do a 360 assessment, is that the stories are of you as a holistic, integrated being. So you're getting stories not just from work colleagues, but from a, from people you know, who have known you in many different contexts. And you get, you also get to choose um, the, the people that you want to ask. So there's some important differences from 360 assessments that businesses typically use. Are you enjoying the show so far? Let me ask you a few questions before going back. Have you ever wondered why so many of us struggle with stress, anxiety, and burnout and feel stuck in life? Heck, Maybe you're going through this right now. Well, the reason for this lies in the evolutionary biology of our brains, which are hardwired for fear. It's part of the reason why our team named this podcast Happiness Squad. It serves as a reminder that happiness is what really matters and that we are in this together. And that is why we are so excited to share with you a resource to help you on your journey. One of our hosts, Ashish Katari, launched a book, Hardwired for Happiness, and it is a number one Amazon bestseller. When you get access to this book, you will discover nine secular practices that can change your life and are backed by scientific evidence from psychology and neuroscience. Learn how you can integrate hardwired for happiness practices in every part of your life to unlock your best self regardless of how busy you are. Shift from knowing to doing to being with a range of journaling, meditation, and group coaching exercises, and so much more. Go to www.happinesssquad.com forward slash book to get access right now. We also have bonuses on the page that you don't want to miss. Once again, www.happinesssquad.com forward slash book. And now back to the show. I love that. Jade, you were saying something. <laughs> I was going to say two things, really. One was, I know we're going to get to this question of what fosters flourishing. And one of the major contributors to flourishing is what we might call positive meaning. Positive, and by positive, I just mean uh, imbuing something with value or significance. And we can think about the power of positive meaning that we assign to ourselves, positive meaning that we might assign to our jobs, positive meaning that we might assign to an organization. This tool is an example of trying to increase flourishing by increasing the positivity of the meaning that we apply to ourselves. So it's inherently a, a valuing of ourselves through the eyes of others. Um, and it's, you know, again, it's a, it's a powerful uplift um, and moving, it moves people because these portraits that people make of themselves from these stories are so powerful. Um, you know, people don't forget them. No. Um, so they are part of people's battery packs that they carry with them going forward. Um, and so I'm just using the reflected best self exercise and as, as an example of a way that organizations or individual leaders can, you know, make small changes in ways that puts people on a different path towards more flourishing by, in this case, increasing the amount of positive meaning. And the other point I was going to make is the other thing that we haven't mentioned yet about this particular exercise. And I know we're talking a lot about this exercise, but it can be 
sort of um, unpacked as a way to look at what contributes to flourishing is that by asking people to share these stories and people being so grateful for having the chance to give the gift of this story to this person before they die, you know, but actually um, now it actually changes the reciprocity dynamic between the individual and their network. So in some sense, you've lit up the network such that people want to, again, give back to each other. And if you could think about, again, the tie between people that's been lit up by this you know, intervention at some level, you are actually strengthening the amount of positive connections that people have with each other or one particular person has with, the, again, their, their um, support network. And so that's another major contributor to flourishing is the number of or the frequency of these, what I often call high quality connections or positive connections yes. with other people. So this is an invitation that actually changes the amount of or the strength of the positive connections that people already have. You know, what I loved about those two points, Jane, that you mentioned, and Monica, the piece that you said about this 360s, right? I mean, the other one, you didn't say it, but I, what I love about it, you know, in our model, both individual as organizational, uh, we have awareness at the heart of it. And what I love about this tool that you both mentioned, the first of all is, we, it's a beautiful way to become aware of who we already are. Right? Because these stories about who we are and most developmental tools or our own search, we're trying so much to become somebody else, to fix a deficiency, to grow into something bigger. And this is about, no, you don't just stop. Just first acknowledge the beauty of the human being you already are. And that's what I really love, love, love about what you both articulated here. Right? It's truly just connect with who you are. We're always trying to get somewhere. We don't need to. It's right here. You are there. You are. You know, just just to build on that. So Ashish and I, we spoke with some London Business School alumni just prior to chatting with the two of you. And one of the questions that came up when we shared the nine practices with them was, what do you mean by fuel up with compassion? And just listening to each of you talk about this, the example Ashish gave was exactly that. He's like, you know, how many of you, when someone trips and falls, you immediately rush their aid? When you trip and fall, you think, oh, leap. And, you know, you start to, to beat yourself up. And I just think what's beautiful about what you just shared is people looking inside, appreciating, understanding what, how they're seen can really change their frame of mind and find that, that self-belief inside as opposed to thinking it needs to come from the outside. So I just think it's a real powerful story on that. And just on the back of that, Jane, you know, what I'd like to maybe understand better is... Ashish and I, we were talking about your research and your work, and he, he shared with me your work on the flourishing triangle that you created. And uh, this was brand new for me. And uh, what I'd love for our listeners to understand, and maybe through your words, what are the three elements that make up the triangle? And just from your perspective, maybe what could they potentially implement from it like right away today? Yeah. <laughs> The flourishing triangle. It's funny how sometimes when you label something, they have a life of their own. Really, <laughs> I just wanted an, uh, some way to remember what I would say as a betting person are the three most important predictors of flourishing at the individual and collective level. And this was my, so a triangle has no meaning other than three. 
And so the, the three sort of things that I would bet on as major contributors to flourishing, and they're a subset of actually what um, Marty Seligman and the PERMA model has sort of identified as contributors to flourishing. I'm trying to sort of sift out what I think are the most potent contributors. So the first is positive connections. And by and I'm purposely using the word connection as opposed to relationships, because I want people to understand that very short term, like less than a minute interactions and connections with another person can have huge beneficial impacts in terms of fostering flourishing. So I'm going to go through the three elements and then I'll come back to your um, request for examples. And I'm sure Monica has other great examples too. So positive connections, more positive connections in our life, in our workplace, are hugely powerful in terms of fostering flourishing. Second is positive meaning. I already sort of tried to identify that. That's in few, we are meaning makers. You know, we interpret even like objective things like my phone. The meaning that I attribute to my phone is, you know, can be really different than what you attribute to your phone. When we're talking about positive meaning, we're infusing something with value and significance. And again, in work organizations, which is what I mostly care about, we can talk about three particularly important sources of, of positive meaning, positive meaning about the self. So who am I when I'm in this workplace? And positive meaning about my job, you know, what, what is the meaning I'm attributing to my job? And we all know that can be really variable. And what is it the essence of this organization? What, what does this organization mean? What is it doing in the world? What's its impact? Okay, so positive meaning, more positive meaning more different kinds of positive meaning, um, increased flourishing. And then um, we've learned a lot from uh, emotion researchers and people focusing on positive emotions in particular. Um, the more positive emotions that we can experience um, during the course of a day or any other time period, the more likely we are to flourish. And Barb Fredrickson's work on broaden and build, and there's a number of researchers working in that space that I think have given us wonderful sort of um, studies that help us understand why that's the case, why positive emotions are so generative for people. Okay, so what are examples? Positive connections. I mean, I would say because first moments in any human-to-human -human interaction matter a lot. They matter disproportionate to any other time kind of in a connection. One thing we can do is how do we prime ourselves before we even interact with someone to believe that, the, to think about them in the best possible terms? Because that priming, actually, the way our mirror neurons work and stuff like that, in terms of how humans to humans connect unconsciously, will actually be self-fulfilling in terms of making it more likely for us to show up in a more authentic um, curious, interested, caring way. So what are the stories you tell yourself before you go meet a new person? What are the stories you tell yourself before you go meet, you know, a person that you know that you may not think very favorably of? We can make a huge difference in terms of how we prime ourselves, how we recall good stories about that person or imagine good stories about that person. Okay. That's one example of how to foster more positive connections. And I'd have to say organizations do this all the time. So how do you onboard people? How do you prime 
the oldsters in an organization's to understand this newcomer that's on board? Are they priming them in a way that makes it easier for that person to build high quality connections, especially quickly early on in their relationship that's going to help them tons? So there, for each one of these suggestions I'm making, you could think about how do you build this into an organizational practice? And onboarding is a really potent one because I said beginnings matter. Um, okay, second thing, how, how positive meaning. Jane, if I might pause you before you go there, you know, there is such there is so much beauty in that because you talked about how do we build in rituals that allow these to, you know, so they're not happenstance, right? We all remember some great onboardings and not. So I really like this notion of how do you actually hardwire these things into organizational processes? So they happen, right? They truly, truly happen. And I also love this notion, you know, what you just talked about stories, right? And for our listeners, dear friend, thinks about it. There's so much beauty in what Anais Nin said. We see the world as we are, not as the world is. And a big part of how we see the world is through the stories we tell. So think about the next meeting uh, that you're going to, especially if it's a meeting where you worked with several others in a contentious setting before. What's the story you're telling yourself before you go into the meeting? Are you wiring yourself for a positive connection or are you already biased yourself to not having a positive connection because you walked in with a story about other people? So this power of stories as a way to kind of really, you know, um, prime yourself for more positive connections, but also hardwiring them. So I just want to share that um, with people to think about. And Jane, then on to the next, next, next part of what you were going to say. Or can I, I'm going to actually pause because we'll get to the other side. So you got to invite Monica in to tell the, um, to share the routine that she uses in teaching, which any organization could use as well, where she has, before you meet people, people load up a short video where they're introducing themselves. So before you even come into a classroom or before, anyway, I'll let her tell it because it's a, beautiful example of how you build in a routine in an organization before you meet people the first time that that already moves them towards flourishing. So Monica, do you want to use that experience here? That you should sure. right yeah. very vivid right now. So one thing, Jane, the triangle means three, but the triangle shape matters because the all the lines connect. And it's true in the flourishing triangle as well that these separate drivers of flourishing interrelate with one another in important ways. So when we're bringing a class together, we give the students who don't know each other yet and haven't yet joined the class um, the question, what gifts do you bring to this class that you want to share with others here? And then we give them a video sharing platform, an academically appropriate, secure video sharing platform. And if you're enrolled in the class, your first assignment before you ever step into the classroom or join the Zoom room or whatever it is, is to post a short video narrating what contributions and gifts you bring that you want to offer the class. So we have built more positive connections because the students watch each other's videos. So they're building positive connections and views of each other before they ever meet. 
they're answering a question that sparks generosity in the network and we're cueing them to make more positive meaning of themselves and each other. So it's a positive meaning intervention. And because I'm watching all these people I'm about to go interact with talk about these incredible gifts, I feel filled up with positive emotion and I want to go to this class. I'm motivated and inspired to learn together with these people. So we have all three angles of the flourishing triangle being lit up in this one simple intervention that readies people to come together and then they come together and they're going to do demanding work. Right? They're going to do demanding knowledge work. So if you're an innovation company, for instance, this is such a powerful way to bring people before they ever come to the meeting, right? to get them ready for that meeting in a way that can just explode your capability. Hey, squad. Thanks for listening. I invite you to join us in the next episode, which is part two, where we pick up this powerful question routine that Jane alludes to and Monica is ready to share, something that organizations can learn from the classroom and use it in their own setting before people come together to work with each other for the first time. We'll also learn more from our luminaries of flourishing around awakening compassion at work. See you soon. I hope you enjoyed the episode today on the Happiness Squad podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on your chosen platform that you listen to us on. If this episode made you think of someone, take a screenshot and share this podcast episode with them. Go to www.happinesssquad.com where you can catch the show notes for this episode and learn more about us and the community we are building. The community is where we gather weekly to practice and connect with other learners, teachers, and practitioners working together to unlock our best selves. Lastly, Follow along on Instagram at My Happiness Squad for tons of behind the scenes as well as short videos designed just for you. It's where we hang out in between episodes. Once again, www.happinessquad.com. All links can be found in the description below. Until next time.